Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful, life-changing, world-changing vegan business. And if you want to go beyond the podcast and connect with our community of like-minded vegan entrepreneurs, or even get some support from myself and Lisa in building your vegan business, then head over to veganbusinesstribe.com where you can get new content every week. Or you can also join our paid membership community. And this is where you can get access to our live online events. So you can join in with our business clinics, but also members get access to this podcast a week before everybody else. So that means you could have been listening to this a week ago. Now, in today's episode, I'm bringing you the second half of our live online panel looking at vegan product trends. And I'm speaking with Louisiana Waring, who is the Vegan Society's Insight and Commercial Policy Officer, and Dan Strettle, owner of Alternative Stores and vegan himself for, get this, he's been vegan for over five decades. So we've really got the long view there. And if you missed the first half, just jump back to episode seven, where we talk about where all this demand from vegan and plant-based products has come from and what's really hot in vegan right now. And in the second half that's coming up next, we continue that conversation to look at what the growth areas are for vegan businesses, products and services, and what's going to be hot next. We're also joined partway through by Tim Barford. Now, Tim is the organiser of VegFest UK, but he's also the manager of Yayo Limited, one of the UK's original hemp body care and food product companies. So he's got some quite good insights to give as well from his point of view. So let's just jump straight back in where we left off, where I asked Louisiana about how saturated the marketplace for vegan and plant-based is at the moment. Louisiana, just moving beyond foods then, and especially talking about what's becoming a little bit saturated now, we're seeing lots of things like even, you know, vegan dating apps or, you know, vegan directors and these sort of things. And there always is this concern that there's perhaps not enough marketplace. I mean, how many single vegans have we got in the UK to give that sort of platform uh, to have competition in that marketplace? You know, so is this a problem that in some categories there's, there's going to be just too many people going after the same customers? It's a tricky question to answer because I think they, I can understand the reasoning behind wanting to do these things, um, but I can only really understand the reasoning if the founders themselves are vegan. That's where it gets tricky um, because if you're going to label yourself as a vegan plumber, for example, just to bring in vegan customers, but if you're, you yourself are not vegan and you don't use, maybe not plumbers, but a painter, if you're not using vegan paints, where where does the line get get drawn and how do we regulate these different industries um so it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one i think it'll be interesting to see how it moves forward i, I think i've seen at least three vegan dating apps to be honest yes. um so i don't know maybe that might be an oversaturated market only one percent of the population at the moment um but you know more going forward so yeah i, I think it'll be interesting i think as long as you're not using the word vegan just to bring in more money and as long as you're doing it for the right reasons, because, you know, you yourself are a vegan and you're using vegan products and you want to just, you know, some some vegans will only go to vegan stores. They won't go to big retailers. Again, we're all very, we're all individuals. We're all completely different people. There's no 
completely black and white. Um, there's a lot of gray areas with veganism. Where, where do you draw your own line? You don't want to make anyone feel like just because they can't spend every penny of their money on vegan, you know, plumbers, painters, etc., that they're not doing the right thing. You, you, the definition is to be as practical and, and as, as possible and practical. So as far as possible and practical, that, there you go. Um, so just remember that. And if, if anyone's watching who is thinking about going vegan, just remember you don't have to go as, as far as other people. Just start with what you can do and then take it forward from there. Um, and it's all about keeping it accessible to people as well. So make, not marginalising anyone because they feel like they're not going as far as others. So keep, yeah, accessibility is still an issue and a barrier. So we want to keep it accessible. Absolutely. And I think when I'm talking to the larger companies, especially, this is something that they don't pick up on. They think that you either, it's binary, you're completely, you know, vegan and out there campaigning, or you're not vegan at all. And, and, and you know, you're, you're eating at the fast food chains, but you need to understand that it is a journey, which, which we've all been on, you know, Dan's been on it far, far longer than I have. Um, but you know, when you start out, you, you are, you, you might be happy to go into the high street burger chain when you first, you know, move over to veganism. But then six months down the line or 12 months down the line, you might not even want to walk through the front door of that establishment. And that's something that companies really need to understand. They have to ask themselves, you know, what does a vegan actually want who's been vegan for, for 12 months compared to someone who's been vegan for five years or even, you know, five decades like, like Dan. And uh, uh, one thing you, you mentioned um, last time we were speaking, Louisiana, was about these very meaty burgers as well that are coming out. Mm. Yes. So I think um, the, the very meaty burger um, industry or market I think it's easy to think that it's an oversaturated market because mm -hmm. you know how many meaty burgers do you need but really when you kind of take a step back you realize how, how much more of these things we need to be producing to be replacing the animal products and and it's a lot so I think we need to scale up businesses that's what we need um, and we need more investment and more support from the government to do this um, whether or not it, it's just meaty burgers or you know those kind of products, but we, we do need more vegan products. Um, so it might be easy to say that some areas are getting saturated, but we're, because we're all vegans ourselves, we all work in the vegan industry every day. I think sometimes you need to take a step back and you know look at the reality of the other 99% of the population who would never say that market's saturated because they've probably never even seen it. You know, it's yeah. in reality, there's less than 10 brands making these products. So it's not oversaturated at all. So I, I would like to see more, uh, just more innovation overall in every category. That's, that's the best way forward. Fantastic. Now, now Dan, a, a moment ago, you talked about ethics as well and the ethical buying. So one thing which a lot of um, people who make new vegan products, and again, quite often the larger brands who do this, they're, they're tying ethics into veganism. So, you know, some people will think if it's got palm oil in, but a, a vegan won't buy it, um, you know, or, or, or they, they, they really go over the ethic. Sorry, they really go into the ethics to try and win over the vegan customers. I mean, what are we seeing in that sort of marketplace at the moment? It's uh, the palm oil questions are a bit of a minefield because it's become so much of a, a norm in in all production. Um, there's many companies trying to source either alternatives entirely or responsibly sourced palm oil. Um, where does ethics come into it? Well, just before that, I was going to come in about the, um, you mentioned the last 50 years, you know, we've all drawn the line somewhere and it's very important for new people to veganism not to have to worry as to how vegan they are at any particular moment. 
you have to be comfortable with what you're doing. Whether, you know, I remember back in the 70s, my dad got a, a leather seated car. Do you refuse to go in the car? Well, no, you don't. Um, you get on a bus and you're holding a, a leather strap. You're sitting on a leather seat. Um, you're going cycling and you need, you've got leather toe straps. Um, there weren't alternatives in those days. And in some cases, as you've said, some of the products still haven't been invented or created that can make a, a full transition more easy. Um, so we've all drawn the line somewhere at some time, but you have to feel comfortable. And I go back to the old Vegetarian Society logo of live and let live. Not only do we have to feel comfortable ourselves, but we have to allow others to feel comfortable with how they are feeling. Absolutely. That, that's very well said, Dan, as well. Um, and, and just you know, rounding back up specifically on, on ethics, I think a lot of vegan companies and truly vegan companies, so you know, companies which are founded by vegans and run by vegans, they do hold exactly what you've just said to heart. You know, it's it, it's very much about getting people onto that journey. But I think also vegan companies are using their ethics as well to, as way to win people away from big brands. If you take someone like uh, uh, Moo Chocolate, for instance, you know, twenty percent of their workforce are people with autism. That that's a policy that they have to try and employ people who usually have difficulty getting into the workforce. Their, their factories send zero waste to land. Uh, you know so it's it's these kind of ethics that we're seeing um really butting onto vegan products but it's something that can be hard to get over at point of purchase well our, one of our main suppliers is a company that only deals with vegan companies mm. and, and we purchase as much as we can from that particular company uh, but because of the diverse nature of, of our shop and, and what we need we can't give all our business to that one company it would be nice, but uh, not always possible and practical. Um, but one thing that you can get if you go to the independents, you can get the advice and the, and the help from the vegan community themselves, because you'll probably find that in your veganist business, mm. your vegan staff and owners are the ones with the knowledge to pass on, which is something that unfortunately in the uh, general supermarket field, you won't find the answer to a question. Or even the ingredients on the label necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very important to remember as well. Okay, so let's actually move on to uh, you know the, the main reason we're talking today. Let's let's look specifically at new product trends and you know what are the new growth areas in veganism at the moment. I'm going to open that one to yourself, Louisiana, first. Um, just because the Vegan Society are supporting so many great initiatives and, and you're probably in one of the best places to see what trends are coming to the marketplace. So what are the new product growth areas in veganism at the moment? Um, so certainly something I touched on um, a little bit previously. So the sustainable sourcing of ingredients, pea protein, how we've had so many people asking us, give us, you know, we need stats on pea protein, we, we need more information. And there's a lot of companies using this. This is in milks um, to use for meat alternatives, for protein powders. It's it's really gonna really gonna expand in the next few years, and there will be probably British grown peas as well. So that's great for our farming industry as well because we love farmers. You know, farmers grow our food as well. So we we want the British grown farmers. You know, short supply chains. It's just a win win situation for everyone. Um, I know we were spoke before. You mentioned pet food, and I think this is a, a very interesting. Um, topic as well or category because it's something that if uh, vegans can struggle with if they have a companion animal and they want to be feeding them healthily and you know they don't want to be feeding them the typical uh, pet food 
So now there's vegan pet foods out there and I'm not an expert on them, but I have seen really good reviews and I, I'm pretty sure all of them are backed up by research because they're probably made by animal lovers themselves. So I don't think they're gonna be putting anything out there um, which is going to be unhealthy. And But pet food as well, I think this is where we see um, lab grown meat probably take over in a few years. I think that is just perfect for the pet food industry because I, I still think there'll be a lot of kind of psychological and emotional barriers to that. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But yes, and more, I think what companies need to do is stop guessing about, you know, as I said earlier, who is the, the typical vegan consumer? Because it's like just saying, who's the typical consumer? Doesn't mean anything. Just because you put the word vegan there doesn't mean we're all the same person. So we need to be doing more research and not looking at who hysterically typically been the vegan consumer. And this is where we'll find a kind of pockets of growth. So perhaps um, the products with specific health benefits, um, they, you know, cholesterol or heart um, benefits, that's an area which I haven't really seen many products in at all, um, which is a massive area in the non-vegan sphere. So definitely that as well. Um, yeah, that would be my take on that. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, are you stocking any uh, vegan pet food at the moment? We, the, the amount of vegan pet food we've got has risen and risen and risen. Really? We've now got a full section devoted to it, whether it's dog chews, potato sticks, uh, wet cat and dog food in cans or dried bags of cat and dog food. Um, it's, it's there and it's being asked for more and more often. Um, the so the last customer before I came on the telephone bought 22 cans for a, a charity pet that she just rescued that would eat nothing except this one particular type. Bought one can, tested it, and came back in and bought 22 more, uh, all in the same afternoon. Um, you know, the, the pet food is certainly a growth market. Um, if you go into a supermarket anywhere, whole aisles are dedicated to animal foodstuffs and other animal products. Um, it's certainly true in our shop. Uh, ready meals, um, unfortunately or fortunately, depending upon your circumstances, ready meals are taking off. Uh, vegan pizzas uh, flying out at times. And we've already mentioned cheese, but there are so many ready meals that people are looking for. I think a lot of it might have something to do with the fact that they're not going out so much in the last few months. Uh, people aren't going out for meals, so to have a, a, a meal created in, in home for yourself using the products that you've bought and supplementing it with your, your veg or whatever is a, a slight substitute during the coronavirus problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you've hit on a couple of really important points there. You know, the ready meals, that's a case of just normalizing vegan food. So it's no longer anything special. You can just, if you want to be unhealthy, you can just go go pick up a microwave meal and put it in there as well. But also with the pet food, I think many vegans, you know, if, if they take on a, a companion animal, they will take them from a res rescue center and that animal will probably have been fed meat its entire life. So it might be a little bit of a problem then moving people over to, sorry, moving the animal over to eating something which is is, is a meat alternative. Um, I, I liked what you said also at the start, Louisiana, that vegans quite often hit this point where they have to make a decision that they've not thought they're going to make before. And that's why I think we're going to see a raise in baby and child as well. You know, lots of newly converted, uh, converted vegans are getting together, they're starting families, and then they're thinking, oh, crikey, you know, I, I'm going to have to raise my, my child vegan. You know, is that even safe at the moment? Uh, there, we do have um, a dietitian who we work with who does speak to a lot of new mothers. 
And I believe there are, there's a soya based formula, but um, I believe the thing that we try and promote is, is just breastfeeding. Um, so you'll definitely have to, if anyone's watching this has more questions, speak to my colleague, the uh, Heather, the dietitian, because she was a lot more clued up than me, but certainly there is more growth to be done in that area. And I just wanted to mention something about the ready meals as well. Um, my grandmother is vegan herself and I was with her a couple of weeks ago and she had a ready meal kind of got me thinking that, that that's a whole other market because she's too old to be cooking home home cooked meals and um, she does eat ready meals a lot obviously vegan but a lot of them are unhealthy so we need that's you know what I was trying to say about not thinking about the typical consumer there's some people who who aren't able to cook meals so what do they need um, and you know functional foods what how can veganism bring even more benefits to them um, in their elderly life and possibly for people with disabilities as well who are unable to cook. So we need to make sure this food is accessible and, and healthy as well, and also have the treats as well. Um, but we need to make sure it's really hitting the nutrition points. But that can probably be said for non-vegan ready meals as well. So when vegan food is so much put under the spotlight, I don't think there's anything bad with it, but I think all food needs to be put more under the spotlight. We all need to be more aware of what we're eating and it needs to be a bigger, issue for everyone um and when you kind of that's again something that which i hope will make people think about their diets in the future and I, and I think it is happening i think a lot of ingredients are in the media more maybe for their negative effects um unfortunately it's usually vegan foods mm. but well that was what's happening to the meat industry a few years ago so it's it's all it's full power play with how the media works but yeah we'll we'll see yeah, absolutely. And it's that normalizing point again as well, you know, looking at the whole family. So uh, 100%, you know, if you are um, having young, young children, if you have had a baby and breastfeeding, you know, they always say that that's a place to start. Some people can't. And so we are seeing some, uh, you know, uh, some plant-based you know, follow-on milks and formula milks, which are, are doing very well at the moment. But then just going beyond the food, uh, we, you know, yesterday I was talking to someone and they've written uh, uh, Vivi the Super Vegan you know which is an absolutely fantastic uh, children's book as well uh, you know so this education if we're looking at you know one in ten children aren't eating meat at the moment that's something which is really worthwhile uh, pursuing as well and then the crossover products so you mentioned um, earlier that the whole family might not be vegan but one or two of them are they're bringing people over and so what i really see as one of the new product growth areas are these products which have been brought out but just everybody can have so uh, goo Puds is a great example of that when they looked to bring out their vegan range they decided to go you know the entire way with it and made it completely gluten-free dairy-free you know so so everybody can have it you know they don't necessarily label it vegan and we're seeing lots more companies doing things like that as well Okay, so uh, one thing I want to chat about also is moving away from food. So when we're talking about vegan products and when people are saying they're going to start up a vegan business, you always think food because it's, it's probably where you started with veganism yourselves. But we're seeing a real rise in, you know, vegan service industries. So we mentioned earlier, you know, you can get vegan plumbers, uh, you know, vegan travel agents, you can get uh, vegan personal assistants, even you know, vegan bookkeepers now. So uh, to either of you have got an opinion on this, do you, do you think this is something we're going to see more of? Do you think this is going to be a growth a growth industry um i know a vegan taxi company so there's another <laughs> one to add <laughs> and i used uh, in a previous uh decade i used to drive for them so wow. we had two vegan drivers you know um i'm also a school teacher by profession and it must be great for some of the children these days to be able to link up and and, and know that if, if our teacher makes it known that they're vegan 
uh, have somebody there that they can ask questions of or, or, or get support from. Mm. Um, I know vegan electricians. So yes, they, they are appearing. Um, uh, I'm not so sure that the vegan taxi company was set up to be a vegan taxi company. It just became one. Um, but uh, yes, things are moving. Absolutely. And Louisiana, you, you talked about scaling up. Do you think we're going to see anybody scaling up these service companies? So are we going to start to see a vegan Uber, for example? Honestly, I mean, vegan anything is good. It's just, uh, and it brings attention to the movement, doesn't it? The, uh, the vegan hotel, there's one in Scotland. Um, one of my colleagues stayed there recently. I think it's probably still a little bit above the price point of perhaps the average person. But these places are, eventually will become cheaper. If more places buy these you know the the bedding, the mattresses, which which are vegan. The I don't know what you need to, to possibly even cut the room plates. I don't know. Animal products are in so many things which shock me nearly every day. But if they're buying these at a premium, and the more places which buy them, the cheaper it gets. The cheaper it gets for everyone. The cheaper it gets for us. So I think, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Um, I would say if you are thinking about doing that, just just do a lot of market research first. Because there's probably more of these companies which we are even aware of. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of vegans do like the idea of supporting other vegans because you're just putting more money into the industry, uh, which is great always. But just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and make sure it's, it's at a price point, which is accessible to the vast majority of people. Absolutely. And I think vegan entertainment has become a huge marketplace as well. I, I mean, uh, it's not just on Netflix with things like Game Changers, but I think the last two projects I, I backed on Kickstarter were, were for vegan comics, you know. So this is something which I think um, a lot of grassroots um, activists are getting into now to make documentaries such as Cowspiracy and such as Game Changers as well. Well, you, you see references or you hear references on films in soap operas um, so often now. It, it's taken as normal that there might be a vegan in, mm. in that particular setting. Um, I remember watching, and this is just an odd one-off mind, was the, I think the Liverbirds in the late 1980s, and a sentence stuck in my mind, you're not actually going to eat that dead, decaying animal flesh stuffed with additives and preservatives. <laughs> now, that came out as a normal sentence in that particular sitcom. but. For the 10 years before and the 10 years after, I don't think I heard anything like it. Um, so yes, uh, it certainly is appearing and becoming normalized in the same way that we've already said, you, you, you're meeting more vegans and veganism is spreading. Absolutely. I loved um, particularly was uh, the mockumentary Carnage a couple of years ago. So it was, it was so funny and I think a lot more, yeah, I, I think it was on Channel 4, so possibly a lot of people saw that and didn't even realise it was a mockumentary until they're halfway through it and suddenly the, the seed is planted. Um, so I think that's a great way to go about it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it, I think that's one of the things I would be saying if someone came to me thinking, I, I could do any vegan business, what would I do? Getting into the vegan entertainment industry, you know, especially if it's information as well, you know, is, is, is really uh, you know, a great place to be getting into. Um, so moving beyond that, packaging is also something that we've seen a lot of innovation in over the last couple of years. But it, it seems that people, you know, develop vegan packaging for vegan products. Um, so if you look at the, 
the vegan galaxy bar you know one of the reasons it was three pound a bar was because it had this compostable packaging film you know which is absolutely a fantastic thing to develop but why are we vegans paying for the development of that you know why isn't that something that they've rolled out across all their products well it would be nice to see plastic ditched because it's doing so much harm to the planet it's also harming the animals and the wildlife that as vegans or vegetarians we want to protect and help and the environment is what we've on all what, that we've got um much more needs to be done especially with buying anything mm. uh, but recent studies have shown that the plastic that we've been dispensing has actually been broken down by various insects and animals and is now appearing in our water and being taken in by the plants which ironically means that we as a as a planet are now consuming the plastic that we've ditched so the recycling um, and the recyclable materials is absolutely vital to us to the future and not only to vegans but to every walk of life as you say not just that one bar of chocolate but to all mm. and if the price is a little bit more then it's something that we have to pay for our planet for the environment yeah absolutely it goes beyond veganism and we've just been joined by Tim at the appropriate moment because I know, I know that Yoho, the, the, the products that you've now got with the sun cream, that's in a glass container instead of a, a plastic container as well, isn't it, Tim? Do you know what? That's a good point, and I haven't got it to hand. So you oh, caught me no. out there. Usually I've got it just there to go, yeah, da -da, I, you know, just uh, here's what I made earlier. <laughs> no, absolutely. But, but you know, the, more, the, the, that, the more we see that, the better. The, and we responded basically to. Um, you know, we brought out a new sunblock a couple of years ago with a really good tip-top natural base with just zinc oxide. So it was, it was the cleanest sunblock you can make, really. Mm -hmm. um, but it was in a plastic bottle, and there was a number of the independent retailers who were interested in the product because it fitted not only their ingredients, but also their price. But, you know, the plastic was an issue. So we put yeah. it into a glass jar for this summer but of course we've been hampered by the you know really it's just not been the climate for anyone to take on new products so one or two have to be fair and and um you know we've, we've had good reactions to it but um it's interesting that people like the choice and just on that packaging note i know i've sat with a very well uh, versed uh, gentleman julian from plamel and we had agent from plamel on a panel earlier Plamel Foods that make the vegan chocolate since 1963 and um, you know Julian's really looked into the packaging issue really done the rounds about the, you know the carbon footprint for everything and the, and the trouble with the packaging is that for every plus there's a minus and for instance with glass it's a lot heavier so the cost overall for a whole summer of shipping glass jars compared with plastic jars you've just increased your, your transport weight costs and such like yeah. quite considerably yeah. so um you know and i know he looked into it for for the, the, the chocolate packaging and i heard you just touch on some of those issues about the biodegradability and such like and of course what, what they found is that the the packaging had a short shorter shelf life than the product yeah. so there are compromises that, that are very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. So what, one thing, just uh, you just led us into our final point there, is also that relationship with retailers as well. So 
one thing I think we're going to see as a trend is where we actually find vegan products as well. So where in a store. So um, if you go into a supermarket, for instance, um, at the moment they have, you know, free for miles and very small sections. But, you know, studies have shown that when a meat replacement product is moved into the meat aisle, the sales rise by about 20, 30 percent. Um, you know, that was a study, I think, conducted by, by Kroger, who did that. And we're also seeing, you know, plant milk um, starting to creep into the dairy chiller as well. Is that something you've been looking at at the Vegan Society, Louisiana? Yes, and we do get asked this a fair amount. Um, unfortunately, not by retailers themselves, but just by um, some of the companies that we work with. So there's a lot of powers at play within the supermarket. And the key players in the animal agricultural industry probably wouldn't like the vegan products being next to them mm. but the supermarkets shouldn't be favoring one industry over the other it should be about their customers and about making sales that is what a supermarket should be focusing on the products are so unique in their selling points that in an ideal world they would be in both the free from and the animal sections i don't know if that will happen but it certainly please everyone and they'll be making a lot more sales that way um and if there are any, are any retailers watching this, you, we, we can conduct the research for you at the Vegan Society because I think every retailer is so different. Every, every cust Customers are quite brand loyal with supermarkets, whether that's because of their price, their location, and the, the products they stock. So by conducting the research with your customers, you should be able to find the right thing for you. But I think it's, it's a really valid point that you make that by putting them next to the animal products, they will be driving more sales. It's just then, uh, vegans probably won't want to go down there and get them but then if it's going to make more people buy them that as you said there, there's kind of no there's no wrong or right you're not going to please everyone and um, so I would certainly say do your research which is specific to your retailer and you'll get the answer that way. Um, so I, I'm just going to wrap up with with the questions that we have um, so uh, I want to get just off, off uh, Dan in Louisiana just just 30 seconds if you were a, a betting person what would you bet on to be the next biggest, the next big thing in vegan products? I'm looking for a crackable vegan egg. <laughs> a crackable vegan egg for cooking purposes. And uh, I think that would take off. I think it would be uh, a challenge. <laughs> and I guess somebody already has thought of the idea and it's in preparation somewhere. Uh, the other thing that is often in request and demand is a successful Yorkshire pudding. Mm. Now we have fantastic Yorkshire puddings made by a small company called Mabel's. Uh, they come to us and then we sell them frozen and they're cooked frozen. They are really, really popular. But just like we've mentioned earlier, sometimes the price is, is high. And the price is high of these Yorkshire puddings until they're possibly in a larger production or somebody comes up with a, a better, cheaper solution. Uh, they end up at £1.25 per Yorkshire pudding. That's my two uh, betting forecasts. No, absolutely perfect. And that comes back to what we were talking about, about vegan uh, companies needing help to scale up. You know, they need to help from moving from the kitchen into, the, into their, you know, unit, from the business unit into the factory. That's something that a lot of vegan companies need help with. So, uh, Louisiana, what, what's your bets for the next big thing in vegan products? Um, not products specifically, but I would just say more collaborations between vegan businesses. So an amazing example of this recently is the collaboration between the Meatless Farm, One Planet Pizza and Applewood. They've come together to bring the first vegan cheeseburger pizza. 
those three businesses already had the products, they already had the skills, all they needed to do was combine their expertise, saves businesses money, it, it saves time to get onto the shelf, and yeah, more collaborations between businesses, and whether that's with um, food outlets as well, or manufacturers or brands, just more collaborations, and yeah, let, let's get the products out quicker, and like, yeah, I, th I think that is, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that. Well, there was so much information in that. And now hopefully when you're listening to this podcast, you keep your notebook handy or you've got an app on your phone to write down any ideas that come to you as you're listening. Now, as an added bonus, if you want to watch the video version of this, then just head over to the Vegan Business Tribe website and search for future vegan product trends on the content page. So that's it for this special two-part episode. And if you enjoyed it and found it useful, please do subscribe to this podcast. Or if you know someone else who has a vegan business or just someone who's thinking about starting one up, then you can really help us grow and get this great content into the ears of more vegans by sharing this podcast with them. And now I know I'm using you here as my free marketing team, but we're all on the same mission, aren't we? Of bringing around a vegan world. So I'm sure you really don't mind me doing that. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for your time and I'll catch you on the next one.